with authority. Welcome to another quarantine edition of our With Authority podcast. Larry Beal along with Casey Pratt. Our special guest is Nate Boyer, a man in demand these days because of his uh, association with Colin Kaepernick. And we're going to get into all of that. But, but Nate, first, before we dive in here, your life story needs to be a movie. From at one point living out of your car to working in refugee camps in Africa, to becoming a Green Beret, to playing college football, to a stint in the NFL, to this association with CAP. It's pretty remarkable and you're you you know you're still going strong here. I don't know if I'm going strong, but I'm going. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have an idea on the person who should play you in the movie. At the end of the podcast, we'll get to that. But uh, okay. uh, people first became aware of you uh, four years ago when you wrote that open letter to Colin Kaepernick after he sat during the national anthem in 2016 and you kind of came up with him with the idea of kneeling you suggested it the issue is front and center obviously again and i want to get your perspective because the conversation has changed pretty dramatically in four years how do you you view the changes well you know i think uh i think a lot of it is obviously the state of our country right now state of the world uh, a, a lot due to the coronavirus and the, that pandemic and the lockdown that associated with that. But then also, I think it struck a different chord, you know, three weeks or so ago when everybody clearly saw, you know, what happened to, to George Floyd. And there's, there's a, you know, there's much to be debated about everything in this day and age, right? But it was pretty hard to get behind uh, the act there. You know what I mean? When we see, when anybody sees that, it just seems so inhumane, uh, regardless of any, you know, background, criminal record, all that crap people want to get into. It, in that moment, it was just not warranted. And, you know, it, it, uh, that's not how anybody's life should end. And I think when people see that and, and, and um, felt that, it, it sort of changed, I think, a lot of reactions to what Kaepernick's been doing for the last four years. So, there was a great amount of people uh, who were initially very upset with uh, the method of protest, taking a knee or sitting, however you want to talk about that. Um, during the anthem, there was a good amount of people that supported it fully. And then there was a lot of people sort of in the middle that are kind of like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, it's, I, I get what he's saying, but I just feel like he could have done it a different way. And then when they see this and then they see the, you know, I mean, really thousands or maybe millions of people across the country who, you know, have gone out into the streets and protested. And, you know, I want to give kudos to everybody that's done it correctly and peacefully. And a lot of times the news doesn't give them their proper shine. And we see stuff that, you know, is is frustrating. It takes away from the narrative, quite frankly, takes away from the real message. But when people see that, they look back, I think, on on four years ago, almost four years ago, and Colin Kaepernick, and they think, okay, maybe – I was a little judgmental on my reaction to that. I mean, I still might not prefer that he doesn't stand for the national anthem, but what is this really about? You know, what is the why? When we talk, when we look at police brutality, uh, social injustice, racial inequality, I can understand that. And now that I can really see this, if I haven't seen it before, I can really get behind that and understand, look, he just, he doesn't want to see this anymore. And I don't want to see that either. And so they, they're looking at it through a different lens. And I mean, nothing he's ever done hasn't been peaceful, you know, and hasn't been with an amount of respect. If you're really listening to, to why I think, especially that he chose to uh, take a knee after speaking with me 
versus sitting. You know, there, it, it came from a place of respect. Yeah. I think you also have the, the symmetry and the disparity of, of two men taking knees and the results that came from those two images. And, and that's what I want to get to next, because I think we understand that for some, the flag and the military are intertwined in a way where they can't separate it in their heads, that that's just, they see one and they see the other. But there's also a group of people that use the flag as a way to avoid an uncomfortable conversation. And I think we see a lot of that, especially in media. Do you perceive that as well? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, and I'll be the first to tell you that uh, I feel a great amount of pride in that flag. And, and when I hear the anthem, I mean, I'll always stand with my hand on my heart and find the tallest flag in the building or outside uh, and face it. And I've carried caskets draped in that flag. And I have a, a very emotional response to those symbols. But those symbols, I mean, that response is based on my experiences, right? And not everybody has the same experiences with me. Actually, nobody has the same experiences as I do. So we're all going to feel somewhat different about that. And, uh, and yeah, like that, there's a continue push, continuing push away from the narrative as to why Colin and Eric Reed, as you alluded to, started kneeling and why so many other players were, and not just kneeling, they were speaking out or, um, you know, being involved in some way in the change uh, in, in, uh, perceived and pursued changes within uh, criminal justice reform and whatnot. So uh, there's people that, that, have, that have pushed that narrative to it's just simply, if you don't stand for the flag, you're disrespecting the military or you, you, you're anti-American or you're unpatriotic and all these things that just quite frankly, aren't uh, the reality. You know what I mean? It's not the way that these people feel. And so many of them have said over and over uh, I have a great respect for the military. This isn't about the military, you know, and I understand a lot of them understand that it offends a lot of people in the military, right? It does, but that's, that's not the point. The, the, the point is not to please everybody in the situation. It's to make people feel uncomfortable. So they have that uncomfortable conversation as to why that's the point of a protest. Um, I don't want people to sit or kneel during the anthem. I want people to stand and feel the same way that I do, but if they don't, what can I do? to help get it to a place where they do. Uh, you know, I, I don't want anybody to do anything out of obligation. Uh, I, I don't want you to stand for the anthem because you feel like you have to, or you just can't wait for those two minutes to get over, uh, to get over with. I want you to stand and put your hand on your heart because you feel the same way that I do. And if you don't, like, let's figure out how we can make this country better and how we can fix these issues so that you feel the flag and the anthem and the symbols are representative of what the country's supposed to be all about. Now you took a football to Afghanistan, learned how to be a long made <laughs> the Texas Longhorns team, made it to the NFL, realized your dream, came running out on the field carrying that very American flag. And you know, we know you have that pride of country, but how hard was it to kind of understand that maybe not all people feel that same way about the pride of country? Yeah, it, you know, it is hard. It's still a challenge for me. Um, I, I understand uh, why, but then I also like, it's hard for me not to um, sort of, it's a bad habit, but it's hard for me not to compare and contrast with other experiences I've, I've had, you know, going to the Darfur even before the military and seeing a genocide where 400,000 people were killed and the people over there have nothing, you know, I mean, if they get, 
if they have clean water in one meal a day, uh, that's a big win. You know what I mean? And we don't have those problems here. So, you know, at the same time, though, it, it is apples and oranges. You, you, you can't make those comparisons. And to say that, um, well, we're not a third world country. We have a lot of um, opportunity here and possibility and all that stuff. What's the big deal? You know what I mean? Like, it's this, it's this argument of like, okay, so things aren't equal here and things aren't equal over there but maybe it's like down here versus up here. Um, it doesn't make it okay for us to be like, yeah, maybe we're elevated out of, you know, being a third world country or whatever, but if things still aren't equal for everybody, like we shouldn't be okay with that. We, can, we shouldn't just accept that, you know what I mean? And be all right with it. But, but, it, and I think my time in Afghanistan and Iraq actually really helped me with that empathy, you know, with understanding customs, cultures, ways of going about doing things, um, different types of oppression, different types of inequality, but it, it just, it depends on where you are on the globe. It's a big, you know, it's a big world and there's lots of different uh, things going on. And, and I think we're the best country in the world. I really do. Um, but the reason that I believe that and feel that is because of stuff like this, because we pursue um, being greater always. Like we, we, we don't settle, you know what I mean? And that's what, that's what this whole argument to me is about, this whole discussion for everybody that just says, like, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, you know, we had the civil rights movement. We abolished slavery. Great. We did. But, you know, if, if you think that, that things are absolutely equal for everybody and there's not some still some type of segregation that exists, even though it's not legal, um, <laughs> I think you need to take another look. I mean, maybe that, and you're entitled to that opinion as well. If you really feel that, if you truly, truly feel that way in your heart of hearts. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find uh, – to find a majority of people that feel that way, black or white, you know what I mean? So like, what are we doing to actively address it and continue to improve it? Um, that's the most important thing to me. And if it takes uh, protests and if it takes things that make me feel uncomfortable, or don't make me feel good, you know, um, to get me to think about that and to get me to act on that, to get the rest of the country to do that, then so be it. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. No, I heard you say several words. I'm sitting here nodding my head. You're not seeing it. But, you know, listening, empathy, understanding. And when you went to meet with Colin Kaepernick, you didn't know what he was going to say or what that was going to be like, but you listened to him and you guys worked together. So, I mean, what was that meeting like? And how much do you think this world could change if people would just listen to each other? <laughs> I mean, it would change a lot. It would change a lot, you know, and it's like – um there's a line and remember that movie fight club. Everybody remembers fight club. There's a line in that movie. That's nothing to do with the fight club stuff, but uh, uh, where two people are talking and one of them says, you know, wouldn't you wish that people really listen? And the other person jumps in and says, instead of waiting for their turn to speak, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, that's what it feels like right now. And, and that's what it's felt like for a long time. It's like, are you really listening? Not only listening, are you processing and like trying to relate that to something that you have experienced in some way. Like, I'm not going to know what it's like to feel um, racial inequality personally. Like, I'm a white man. I'm not going to know what it's ever, ever going to know what it's feel like to be a black man, right? But I can think about my experiences in the military, for instance, my experiences in that uniform. And, and I know people make assumptions about me, what I believe, who I am, because I wore camouflage. You know what I mean? So they make a bit of a, there is a bit of stereotype there, right? Mm -hmm. It's different but it's something I can probably, I could possibly relate to. And uh, it's not their fault. You know what I mean? Often it's just a matter of like them 
just thinking, well, I saw this in a movie or I read a story about this or, oh, my friend, you know, my friend Bill that's in the military, you know, he really, he's really pissed off about this, that, the other thing. And it's just like, okay, but, but we're very diverse. We feel and think different ways and we're not all just these things because you saw that once. It goes the same with race. That goes the same with religion. It goes the same with everything. And, uh, and it's just a matter of like having more of these too, having more of these one-on-one or one-on-two in the same situation conversations and not just like everything's through, you know, social media, which has became, become the mainstream media now. Like, let's just call it what it is. And so we're seeing something in a quick moment, you know, or reading a headline or, or an image or a video. And we just quickly make it, you know, a snap decision about it instead of really listening and learning, um, about the situation and trying to like discover where this is coming from. I had to do that. One of the hardest things I've had to do in my life is being in Iraq and Afghanistan and having to try to find a way I can relate to where the bad guys are coming from. Right. People that people that would take, uh, you know, that that would receive money to drive their car onto a base, blow themselves up and potentially take other lives with them. I'm never going to like be okay with that and like that. But I have, to, I have to really dig and think about why, where this is coming from. Because the reality is, in most of those situations, they're trying to do what's best for their family. Logically, they think, they feel, I will never have a chance. I will never have an opportunity. My, my family will never have an opportunity in this world. You know, the average working wage in Afghanistan, at least when I was over there, was like $20 a month. It's insane, you know, for, for blue collar, right? So some guy is going to give me 10 grand to drive my, you know, to... to, to take my own life. And I think I'm doing an honorable thing for my religion and I'm taking all these people with me, but my, my kids are going to have a chance now. My family's going to have a chance. So like when you think of it that way, it's hard, it's our hard conversations to have internally. You know, uh, you can eat, it doesn't make it okay. I don't, it doesn't like justify it. I don't like it, but I get it. You know what I mean? I get where that comes from. Sure. And now we're talking about things that aren't harming people, other people. And when we're talking about protests, when we're talking about, a social justice, raising a fist, taking a knee, speaking out, you know, for us to not even like want to listen to that and try to try to understand where that's coming from is just, uh, it's very childish. It's very childish. And it's not, it's not representative of where we should be at uh, in our nation at this time. You know, I mean, we, everyone want to go, everyone wants to always go back to our forefathers and, you know, all these things. Well, it's like, well, yeah, uh, I feel like regardless of who they were back then, whether they were slave owners or not. I think they would be upset with us if we weren't trying to improve as a nation and if we weren't having these conversations and trying to move forward and, and better what they started. You know what I mean? It's not just like it started in 1776, so it's like it's going to be the exact same and like that's the best it'll ever get. Like, come on. No, <laughs> you know, absolutely not. And if you, you, know, you, if you look back on the, on, you know, at the Constitution and the First Amendment, which is like the oath we take in the military to defend – uh, it talks about freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Like that's so far ahead of its time. And yet we just like, we, we, we ignore it or we just choose. Well, sometimes it fits my agenda. So that at that moment, yes, that's totally okay. But otherwise like not okay, not okay. And it's just, I, it's hard to, to really fathom sometimes. Well, I'm struck by the contrast of the scenario you laid out with somebody who's a suicide bomber and having to make those choices uh, and the images of people protesting uh, before the city council in Southern California because they're forced to wear a mask. I mean, it's like, 
have you have it pretty good if that's your biggest problem is that you've, you've got to wear a mask uh, into a, right. a restaurant or or wherever you go what's the reaction that you've gotten from other military members with all of this and, and I, I you know they tell you don't ask two-part questions but i'm going to because we're up against uh, the time here a little bit but your life has changed so dramatically because before you wrote that letter in the army times you were a guy that we didn't know, and now you are the guy who's out in front of all this. And so you're in the crosshairs now, whether you want to be or not. Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, the military community, the veteran community, we're the most diverse microcosm in the country. We look like, uh, you know, everybody. (laughs) We're every color under the sun, all religions, politics, um, we're a mix and we have different beliefs and, and opinions about things and all this. Well, the great thing about the majority of people that, that do wear that camouflage is we're able to put that stuff aside and work together towards a common goal or a mission. And I think that's why people appreciate us because we do sort of give up some of those things. I'm not saying we give up freedoms necessarily, but we do sort of shelve some of those things to, to work towards, you know, a, a bigger mission or a common goal or, or some type of unity uh, or freedoms elsewhere in, in, on the, on the, on the, on the planet. Um, so I've gotten reactions from them across the board. I've gotten, you know, a good amount of support. A lot of people that are like, I think the majority of people tell me, I don't know if I agree with the, the mechanism for that protest, the why, but I understand why. And I appreciate you, you know, trying to be a warrior diplomat, as we call them in the military, trying to be somebody um, that li- that listens, that uh, understands, okay, this is my experience, this is my emotion, this is my feeling, you know, what's yours? And then how can we work together to actually make change, to, 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 to move the ball forward, you know, to, to make some progress here? And, uh, and then there's a good amount of people, and they have every right to feel this way. A lot of guys that were in the special forces, too, that just – absolutely against everything that I did and said and the fact that I stood next to him, the fact that I had the conversation, the fact that I didn't tell him, you need to stand up and this is why, you know. And that just goes back to my, my point about obligation earlier. Like I don't, I don't, I just don't see it that way. You know, I, I see this as, you know, a country of freedom, uh, a, a world of, of, um, of opportunities and, and choice and, uh, and I want people to to do what they want to do i don't want people to do anything because they feel like they have to you know what i mean and that goes for i mean you know we've seen people during the anthem at ball games you know they're in line getting a hot dog or a beer maybe they stop what they're doing but they don't they just can't wait for the two minutes to get over like i mentioned earlier they don't they don't really care or they've got their kids running around screaming and stuff and it's like you're not gonna like you're gonna say that that's disrespectful you know, it's somebody's, somebody's taking the, they're, they're taking those two minutes too. They're quiet. They're maybe on a knee, but they're listening and they're trying to show a bit of respect and reverence to, you know, to, to people that fought for that flag. Uh, and that's just, you know, that's just, once again, I'm going off the rails on my opinion here, but, it, but the, 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 to answer your question shortly, uh, very diverse reactions to that. And, uh, and everybody's got, they're entitled to that. They have, they so how have do that you, right as well. How do you deal with the barrage of negativity? Because you talked about social media and you're accessible now. Yeah. I mean, you know what, when it comes to the special forces community, that's the one that um, I'm most connected to as far as military groups. 
And so I try to, I try to communicate with those guys and respond to those guys. There's, there, there's like private Facebook groups that man, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll screen capture something and they'll, somebody will just go off and then, Oh, they all pile on and it's that mob mentality. And, uh, and then there'll be a few of them that'll kind of be standing up for me. And then I'll go in there in that chat room <laughs> and I'll just say, Hey man, you, you, you're entitled to that feeling. This is, this is why I did what I did. I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to, uh, move it past this whole debate over whether sitting or kneeling or standing on your head is right, wrong, disrespectful. Like, I don't really care about that that much. You know what I mean? What I care about is the action and what we're doing to move the conversation forward. Now that it's a narrative, you know, now that it's like a very specific thing that, that uh, millions of people are talking about in the country, like that's all well and good, but like, what, what's the next steps? Like, let's, let's do this because you know, law enforcement needs reform. Criminal justice system needs reform. But there's a hell of a lot of really great people that wear that, that uniform. You know, there, there's a lot of good cops out there. And that job is hard. That job is difficult. And nobody likes you right now. So what are we going to do to bring uh, mystique back to that badge and honor so that young people growing up of all colors from all neighborhoods are like, one day I want to protect and serve in my neighborhood. What are we going to do to fix that? Because it's going to take a lot right now. We can't just keep vilifying and demonizing and we're not going to get rid of the police departments. I mean, like, let's just move past that. Like <laughs> we're not just going to have, you know, it's not anarchy. This is not anarchy. It's not the government we live under. And uh, so like, let's figure, let's figure out a logical solution because most people agree uh, no matter how they sit politically that we need to fix this. We need to do better. Policing needs to improve quite a bit and we got to get the right people wearing that uniform. So like, that's what I try to focus on when I have these conversations within the military community, the veteran community too. I'm like, we are people of action. You know what I mean? We're, we didn't always agree with every mission we were handed down. You know what I mean? But we figured out a way to do it. We figured out a way to, to, to try to uh, do it best for the people that we're serving. It's the same situation here. Like how, we should be leading this discussion, leading this charge uh, in positive change and like bringing people together and uniting the country instead of jumping on the bandwagon of some side and, you know, losing our minds. So I want to get into this real quick. You can answer fast because I know we could probably talk to you for two hours. You may be the most interesting man in the world as we joked before <laughs> this, but like that day when you stood next to Colin Kaepernick, do you ever have any regrets that you didn't take any with him? Do you think the whole situation would be completely different if you had with his career and what's going on now? I don't think so. And also like, like I said, I, I don't want to. So I shouldn't do anything out of obligation either. You know, I shouldn't feel like I need to, to kneel during the anthem to create change. Like, I, you know, Colin himself and Eric and everybody else that has like, they've, they've, they've done a, a quite a bit to bring awareness to this and bring attention to this. I don't think it would have adjusted or changed that in any way. Um, I think it just would have been more of an opportunity to co-opt my message or who I am, you know what I mean? Which, which people have, have, done a pretty good job of doing. I mean, they've made assumptions just because I stood next to them. There's been a million assumptions about who I am, what I, where I stand politically. I've had plenty of people that are just, that were pissed off that I didn't kneel with them. I've had plenty of people that were pissed off that I stood next to them, you know, and sort of, uh, or, or suggested that kneeling was a, was a more respectful option versus sitting when he said he wouldn't stand, whatever, you know? So I don't regret anything. I wouldn't change anything that I've done and said uh, through this whole situation um honestly i mean there's a couple off-color jokes i probably made in a few interviews that i wish i wouldn't have made because i just was trying to lighten the mood and it didn't land that's about it though <laughs> pretty much everything else 
uh, you know, I just, that's just who I am. I mean, and that's who we are in the locker room, whether it's military or sports locker room. And we, that's what's great, great about it. We give each other crap about everything, everything, you know what I mean? And, uh, but we, we know it's just, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, there's such a brotherhood and bond beyond that. You know what I mean? And there's just a, a trust and understanding that this person would still take a bullet from me or this person would still take a hit from me. I'm not comparing war to playing a game, but you know, that, 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 that locker room's the same successful teams. It's all about the man on my right and left. How can I make them successful? What can I do with my job every day to make sure that he's okay and she's okay. And you know, we're all, we're all going to win. Um, that's just, it's, it's more of what our nation needs, I think. And uh, you know, and that comes from, that comes from like we talked about earlier, that empathy. And I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything I did. Well, you're, say, you, take, you take the military. I mean, it's strength and unity. Football, it's strength and unity. People set aside their differences for one common goal in both of those things, which is why I think the merging vets and players thing you do too is so powerful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We, we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes, and we help them find purpose and service and identity when the uniform comes off. A lot of the things that we were talking about today, you know, when you're in your, your 20s and 30s typically – if you're lucky in your forties, that career ends, you know, and you feel like I'll never be great again. I've peaked and it's not true. You know, you still have a lot to give. Um, you can still apply all those things you learned and you know, everything you sacrificed to become elite. That's still who you are. You're still that person, even though you don't wear that uniform anymore. So what are you going to do, you know, to make this, to make this country better, really to, to, to improve your family's life. You know what I mean? You, we're so able, we're so capable of doing, of doing great things. And that's not just veterans and former professional athletes, but I think people look up to us. There's that, there are mutual respect between the two groups and there's a pretty big respect, I think, by and large, uh, from the rest of the nation. They look up to us, you know, we're leaders. And so like, what are we doing now to continue to lead, uh, to lead the charge in our communities? And uh, I mean, I think it's really up to us and I'm really proud of the organization of, of MVP because some of these vets, you know, just a few years ago, we're living in a homeless shelter, you know, and some of these athletes, they wouldn't come out of their room and they were, you know, popping pills and, and not being a good father or whatever. And like to see them now, you know, the growth they've had over the last three years and just it's just really remembering who you were and feeling that that fire again. Um, it's pretty inspiring. It's really inspiring. So I'm really proud to, you know, to co-found the group. But more than anything, I'm proud to just be a member of the group. What are you doing to advance MVP beyond wearing the shirt? And, and where is that organization going as a whole? Yeah. So we've got five chapters now across the country. We're in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, and New York City. Um, we want to be, you know, in every NFL city and beyond. Um, we're only about four, four and a half years old. So we're, we're relatively young, but I co-founded it with Jay Glazer. So we've had a, a really good um, – you know, platform to start with. And then we've got some incredible, you know, ambassadors on our team too. You know, like former NFL players like Michael Strahan and Chris Long and, uh, you know, MMA fighters like Randy Couture. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible uh, to, to see that reach. And on a, on a weekly basis, we train together. And then we do what we call the huddle. We, we hang out, we sit on the wrestling mats after we're all, you know, we've beaten each other up a little bit. And we just talk. It's just an open forum, you know, and we, we, we preach vulnerability. We want people to, like, you know, uh, talk about struggles they're going through and be open with that. Um, but also we're coaching each other up and empowering one another because everybody in that room has been through something. We, we had Tony Gonzalez come in one time 
Uh, and he's been in several times, but the first time he came, he thought he was coming down there to make an appearance. I mean, this is like probably the greatest tight end in NFL history, if not, you know, one of the top yeah. five. Um, and he talked about, he played 17 years and he talked about how, you know, his first couple of years out, he had the CBS job, everything looked peachy. Everyone figured he was great. He, you know, he beautiful wife and family and like, you know, house, the whole thing. And he was miserable because he, he, he'd lost his team and he didn't tell anybody about it. And he finally, we went on a vacation with his wife to Spain and he just broke down crying one night at dinner. She was like, well, what's going on? She was probably nervous. He was going to leave her or something. And he was just like, I, I just like, it just dawned on me what's been wrong with me for the last three years. And like, I just have this overwhelming feeling that I'll, I'll just never be great again. He's like, I know that sounds selfish because I've had such a great career and so many great opportunities, but you know, I'm 40 years old and I feel like I'm, it's over and that's really scary, you know? And uh, to, to see the veterans in the room, not only kind of light up when he said that, but just with, with that connection of like that understanding, um, but also for him to, to, to come down there and kind of think, well, I'll do something cool for the vets today. And then to spend time with them and hear them and listen to them and, and for him to think, wow, like I'm going through the same thing as this guy or girl, you know, that was in the military for maybe just four years. Maybe this person's only, you know, 25 years old now. And, uh, but they went over there and they, you know, they saw combat and experienced all these crazy things. But this transition is very similar, you know, that tra and the struggles with, uh, with purpose and identity and, and uh, you know, finding that lust for life again. So it, it's just really, it's really special to, to see those connections. And that's just a, that's a big example of, a, you know, somebody that everybody knows who Tony Gonzalez is that's a football fan. Uh, but there's, there's examples of that that happen every day. Well, you mentioned Randy Couture. He could be one candidate since he's also in the Hollywood scene to play Nate Boyer in the Nate Boyer story. <laughs> he's but also a veteran. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, he was in the Army for six years before he went to, wow. co he went to college at 25, I think, and wrestled and then was a coach for a while before he started uh, UFC. But anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the actor that uh, I'm thinking because of the Texas tie-in in particular, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> that's we can, he's we not can good he's not good looking enough man <laughs> oh, i think she'd play nate boyer nate boyer yeah, yeah. there you go yeah. that, that's <laughs> yeah just like b rabbit in eight mile remember uh, <laughs> exactly. uh eminem you know it's yeah. the same thing yeah no, well um it would be cool if cool. that's where i, I would take is. it i would totally take it yeah, all right. Well, he's gonna Jake have to put weight on. I don't want. I don't want Dallas Buyers Club McConaughey though. He's got to be buff, you know. Yeah, no, no, yeah. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to be emaciated. Uh, yeah, we can work it out. We can work it out. It, it just shows you he's got range, so he. Yeah, can there play, you go. Play. Uh, I mean, he did win an Oscar. I guess he's all right. Yeah, I think he's decent. I think he's decent. Uh, you could do a lot worse. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, please keep us informed with whatever you're doing with MVP going forward because I feel like there was a gap here where we, we saw you then a few years went by and at least we didn't you weren't as visible and now you're 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 back and uh, and the cause is certainly one that I think everybody respects I appreciate that sir yeah, yeah. definitely I, I will we'll, we'll be growing MVP go to vetsandplayers.org too if you are interested in signing up or helping out in any way okay Nate thank you so much for your time and uh, I hope we can catch up again soon Definitely. Thank you, guys. Right. Appreciate you. Thank, thank you, Nate. I feel like I have like 50 more questions I ask, I could ask. So we'll, we'll probably have to make this like five-part series at some point. So. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. All right. 
With authority!